the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning, hour number three. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you, filling in for George Brockler, who's still a little under the weather. Happy to be here in the saddle for him today. Of course, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 right here on News Talk 710 KNUS 303-696-1971 is our telephone number if you want to join in to the festivities you can also text into the show on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone and I'm on Twitter 24-7-365 at Sang Center that's Sang with an E not an A Center on Twitter and a couple ways to email me, the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page, 710knus.com, or log on to my website, jimmysangenberger.com, and go to the contact page there. Remember, it's all ease all the time in Sangenberger. Let's take a little bit of a break from politics for a few minutes to remember an icon in music who passed away yesterday at the age of 78. That would be... None other than Jeff Beck. Absolutely incredible. Jeff Beck, rock and roll Hall of Famer, longtime solo musician. Former Yardbird guitarist, one of the three, him, Jimmy Page, and Eric Clapton, of course, were the three at various points, passed away yesterday at the age of 78 after a short, brief bout with bacterial meningitis, leaving behind an incredible legacy. Jeff Beck, as Rolling Stone puts it, the, the blues rock innovator and two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee who revolutionized how the guitar is played died Tuesday at the age of 78. Beck's family confirmed the former Yardbirds guitarist Death Wednesday, quote, On behalf of his family, it is with deep and profound sadness that we share the news of Jeff Beck's passing, his family said in a statement. After suddenly contracting bacterial meningitis, he peacefully passed away yesterday. His family asked for privacy while they process this tremendous loss. Beck is an eight-time Grammy winner, was twice inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, both as a member of the Yardbirds as well as for his work with his own Jeff Beck group. Led Zeppelin's Jimmy Page... Beck's Yardbirds bandmate, who inducted the guitarist into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2009, wrote on social media, The six-stringed warrior is no longer here for us to admire the spell he could weave around our mortal emotions. Jeff could channel music from the ethereal. 
His technique, unique. His imagination's apparently limitless. Jeff, I will miss you along with your millions of fans. Jeff Beck, rest in peace. And, of course, the memorials kept pouring in from all sorts of musicians because of the legacy here. Just listen to that plan. Billy, how about this? How oh, about Jeff Beck and, and what he leaves behind? Oh, uh, this hurts. Th- this, this hurt a lot yesterday. Um, hurt middle of the afternoon. Uh, hear that he is gone, and it was a gut punch. Um, because of, for me, what he means inside of the genre. Uh, he is it's a, at the core. He's a blues guitarist. But he approached the instrument uniquely. Uh, Jeff Beck in, I forgot what interview it is, talked about the fact that he viewed the guitar like a lead singer. The lead guitar was supposed to be a secondary singer for the band. It was supposed to be able to reach out and provide emotion, provide tenor, provide pacing for the song. Um, It was supposed to do things the lead singer couldn't, and he said he was always trying to explore sounds that singers would be able to do on air that he could do with his guitar. And I forget the model, but his his preferred model is a Stratocaster. And he likes it because it has a spring-loaded bridge and allows him to pitch the notes up and down. And he said that was a revelation to know that I could play with this little whammy bar, but he said it's, it's really a vibrato bar, and I could play with that, and I could make these noises go up and down and up and down, and he said it was just unbelievable for him when he discovered that. it's He is a stud because, listen, this is the dude that they came to and said, hi, you want to replace Eric Clapton? Really? Right. I mean, well, and on. in fact, in fact wow. Eric Clapton said he was leaving – the Yardbirds, and he went to Jimmy Page and said, "Hey, Jimmy, you want to replace me?" And he said, "Now nah, I'm going to pass, but I recommend Jeff Beck." Yeah. And so Beck took over, and then eventually Page joined the band just months later uh, on bass, and then became a second guitarist along yeah. with um, yeah, which uh, is along with to Beck. Think about it because Page starts with the Yardbirds as the bassist, and then switched that right. second guitar, and then they released the 1996, it's 95 or 96 album, which is unbelievable because of the dual dual guitars. And oddly enough, that's the only album Jeff Beck is on. That's it, because they get mad at him. He's very prickly. He, the, Everybody that works with him says that he has this amazing talent, yeah. but also a wee bit grumpy. By the way, you accidentally said 96. It was 66. Oh, yeah, 66. 1966. Right. And right. yes, yes, yeah. you're right. But... It was the only one. And, and and he was prickly. <coughs> and so they kick him out. In fact, one of my favorite quotes from him is when they talk about him being inducted to the Hall of Fame with the Yardbirds. And he says, well, everybody's telling me that I should be extremely proud today. But I'm not. I'm kind of mad because they kicked me out of the band. So F them, which I look at and go, dude, I mean, that, that is a long time to hold a grudge right. over this. Uh, he was incredible. And again, you talked about the Jeff Beck group. That's lead singer Rod Stewart with Ron Wood on mm-hmm. bass. Mm-hmm. That is nuts to think about. That is a super group today. Uh, I mean, it's he even went on afterwards and contributed many things. Everybody knows John Bon Jovi's first solo hit, Blaze of Glory guitarist Jeff Beck. Mm-hmm. So there are those things that he did. Uh, it's it's just amazing. He, he leaves behind yeah. such a legacy and so many influences, yeah. and the collaborations that he did, the Fire and Fury tour, my dad went to that in the 80s, oh, wow. um, where he toured with Stevie Ray Vaughan. 
uh, absolutely incredible and how they played together and did uh, a bunch of different tunes. I mean, it was a powerhouse duo right there. Uh, I'm so jealous because I love Stevie's my favorite and Jeff Bet you put them together and man, it's just you watch videos or listen to audio of that and it's absolutely incredible. Now I have a little bit of fun. Jimmy Sangenberger media trivia uh, media music yeah. trivia oh, yeah. for you uh, about this. And there's a there's a slight little bit of embarrassment, but not really because I was seven. So the very first concert I ever saw, we were living in New Jersey at the time. My dad took me. Johnny Lang opened for Jeff Beck. Oh, wow. I was seven years old oh, wow. and saw Jeff Beck in concert, at least for a little bit, until it got too loud for seven-year-old Jimmy, <laughs> who then yeah. made Dad take us home. Now, That's funny. I, in I, my if def- I was your dad, I would, keep, I would hold it over Well, uh, he was very nice, but you know what? In my defense, I was seven, and we would go on in my teen and adult years to see Jeff Beck a couple more times together, including one several years ago. And I'm going to play a a little bit of from this tour um, coming up on Saturday on my show. I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, Jeff Beck uh, with uh, Rick French, who is on the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, He should be joining me on Saturday. But he and Buddy Guy went on tour together, and it was absolutely an incredible uh, show. It was a Fiddler's Green. I think Buddy was first, and then Jeff Beck, and, and it was phenomenal. But the different musicians that he was friends with, that he would play with, that respected him, that showed, that right now you can see all the love, the admiration, the support, Billy, that is being shared glowingly upon Jeff Beck, it shows two things. One, his musical prowess was respected, but also the kind of guy he was. He wasn't a singer, so you didn't really hear his voice unless you listened to him do an interview, but you can tell the measure of a man by the things people say about him when he passes away. Yeah, it's. I believe that Jeff Beck is one of probably two to three people that's responsible for the psychedelic turn and the direction mm-hmm. 70s rock goes. Mm-hmm. I believe he was on the forefront of that as far as experimenting with what the guitar could do and what the sounds were. Yesterday I read a wonderful story from uh, Aerosmith. Steven Tyler and Joe Perry are talking about how they're out on tour and Joe Beck is with them as well. And he's, um, I believe he's opening up for him or they're opening for him. I don't remember which it is. But he's doing sound check. And they were like, no, 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 we're not sitting backstage. We're not going to be back in the – we're going to come and watch this. Right. And the uh, photographer at the time has a picture where they're stand- he's standing – the photographer is standing behind Steven Tyler and Joe Perry off stage in the back, and they're staring, watching Jeff Beck do the sound check. And they say – it's a picture that makes them look like they're both five-year-old kids because they're like, oh, oh. And Steven <laughs> right. Tyler told the story that he remembers that incident because he and Joe Perry are standing there, and they keep elbowing each other going, do you hear what he just did? Yeah. Did, did you hear the lick that he just had? Oh, my God, he just did that with that note? Oh, my, that chord. That chord. Did you hear that chord? But they said it was, it was a gift to them because they could see that even though Jeff Beck was so accomplished, what he still was doing was experimenting 
learning yes. and having fun. So when yeah. when Rolling Stone calls him a blues rock innovator, that yeah. term is so apt. Yes, I got a listener text earlier that said, Jeff Beck is not blues rock. I'm sorry, he is. Did he do a lot yeah, of straight yes. rock? Yeah. Absolutely. But you go to the Yardbirds, he was arguably the bluesiest. His short tenure, but arguably the bluesiest sounding of the guitarists of the Yardbirds. But also when he would play with... Uh, Stevie Ray or Buddy Guy or you name it or just his own songs you can hear those blues roots oftentimes it is the blues and a lot of times it's guitar virtuoso playing for sure but innovator is really such an apt word Billy because he was so creative so ingenious in what he would do with the whammy bar and with other techniques not to mention his raw skills as a guitarist yeah his his basic licks were all blues based his chords and the progressions Mm -hmm. but then he stretched out and figured okay what can I do with this guitar what do I have the ability to, to stretch the limits of what people are doing and again I come back to what we talked about right at the beginning that he viewed that guitar as a secondary singer that that guitar is as important that lead guitar as the singer up front because it drives the music and so he was trying to figure out okay how do I play a duet with this vocal and the instrumental that you played earlier if you just sit back and listen his guitar is singing every single note it is singing he was just oh my gosh, it's, it is difficult to talk about because it is a huge loss for me. You know, I am so glad that I was able to go see him a couple of times because he's one of those, well, really three times. It, it is amazing. Yes, I, I, we left early. But how many people do you know who can say they were seven when they saw Jeff Beck as their very first concert? That's true. Like, that is pretty cool. But being able to see him multiple times and and have that experience is something else because he is such a legend. It's like going to see Greg Allman and the Allman Brothers play. You know, I got to do that uh, two times for me. I was in middle school and high school and absolutely loved it. Um, and, and when you have those memories of Buddy Guy or B.B. King, the people that you see who are really those influential um, music icons, it leaves something in your soul that will never, never go away, Bill. Oh, yeah, it, it really does. And I, I spent a little bit of time yesterday with uh, Beck's last concert performance, which was late last year. And he was performing with, of all people, Johnny Depp. He was in mm. Johnny Depp's band, which I always was like, really? How did Johnny pull what? that off? Yeah. I'm Whoa. Like, he was a lead guitarist in that band. I'm like, how did I didn't even what? know Johnny Depp had a band. I know. Yeah, most people don't. And for good reason. They're not that good. But Jeff Beck's amazing. <laughs> I mean, you listen to it and you're like, the guitarist is great. Everybody else? Nah. But yeah, that, that's I, I just was always fascinated with the how how is that conversation i keep thinking of it always fascinated me because uh, you know it's johnny depp so if johnny depp calls you yeah you take johnny's call but you're jeff beck you, you played with the yardbirds you, you played with roger waters john bon jovi you've been on the album of kate bush jimmy page looks up to you uh you know rod stewart and ron wood were in your band you weren't in their band they were in your band and johnny depp calls up and goes Dude, do you want to be in my band? I'm like, how does that conversation go? I'm just curious. I'm like, I, I just, I can't understand that Jeff Beck didn't say. That's well, hilarious. We should, we should call the Jeff. Did you Beck ever group. get to see Jeff? No, did I did see? not. That no, you ones. missed out. There are a number of those that hurt that I missed. The other one that really hurts is uh, not seeing Nirvana. I had a couple mm. of chances and did not, and that hurts because I didn't think that their career was going to be at so short. Jeff Beck, I have really no 
good excuse hmm. for not going and seeing because he had such a long career. Right. And it, it just was one of wow. those that I'll see him next time. I'll see him next time. And not understanding that sometimes, you know, your, your heroes die. Well, Buddy Guy's doing his farewell tour. I'm waiting for the, the the Colorado date or dates to be set because I haven't seen him in years. And I told my dad, we got to go see Buddy Guy. He's doing his farewell tour. Um, you don't want to miss on, out on those kinds of opportunities. And by the way, he's got a long career ahead of him, but Bill, you still need to go to Red Rocks and see Joe Bonamassa. Yeah, just, I do. Just saying, yeah. brother. The other, one, the other one that's kicking me right now is uh, No FX, which is kind of a punkish grant band, is doing mm. a farewell tour, and they're promising uh. to play 40 songs at night. So I might just have to break down and go see them. Yes. I've seen them times. I'd love to see them. Do yeah, it I'd, for yeah. sure. But just a, a final thought from you, and then I'll give my final thought on Jeff Beck. What is his legacy? Oh, that's a good question. For me, his legacy is being unafraid. It's, it's understanding that you can take that instrument and stretch it. Try to figure out where you can go and don't be limited by the notes that are on the page. Only be limited by the notes that are inside of you. That's probably it. I think that's very well put. And if you look at his style, you look at the way that he would play, you're absolutely right. And I think his legacy is also in the musicians that he influenced. I mean, the incredible number. And his contemporaries, too. When you have, as you pointed out, Jimmy Page say, you know, just marveling at the technical prowess, the skill, the power, the raw emotions of Jeff Beck, you know there's something really there that is worth celebrating, worth recognizing. And the list goes on. I mean, I was seeing Buddy Guy paid tribute and Jimmy Vaughn and just everybody, you name them, in terms of the rock and blues worlds, they acknowledged and just took a yeah. moment to say, rest in peace, brother. We'll miss you. And thanks for everything. There was a picture yesterday on social media of Ozzy Osbourne and Jeff Beck. And I'm like, oh, that would have been a lot of fun. That would have been really fun to see. Because, again, one of the recent um, singles that Ozzy released, Jeff Beck actually played lead guitar on it. So that would have been really, really fun. Because for me, Ozzy's heyday is really Randy Rhodes. And I think Jeff Beck is the only one that would have come close to re replicating that kind of energy that Rhodes brought uh, to a track. And they did in this most recent single. But, yeah, yeah that was one that I'm just looking at going, oh, that, that's scary to think of those two guys together. Yeah. It's something else. And so many of those collaborations. I, I am jealous of everybody who saw the Fire and Fury tour of Jeff Beck and Stevie Ray Vaughan together. Absolutely out of this world. May Jeff Beck. Rest in peace. Thanks for your incredible contributions. Again, the legend himself passed away yesterday at the age of 78 after a bout with bacterial meningitis. I'll talk a little bit more about Jeff Beck on Saturday. Should be joined by a member of the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Rick French, to talk about his legacy. Keep it right here. We'll get back to politics on the other side. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler, News Talk 710 KNUS. Good to be with you. Thanks 
for joining us and also for indulging Billy and I and paying a little homage to the great late Jeff Beck. Passed away again at the age of 78 just yesterday. So apparently I'm seeing here Fox News reporting that the second batch of Biden documents, the classified documents, was found in a garage in Wilmington. Uh, Delaware. I mean, what, what? In a garage? Or, or are we, yeah, Wilmington, Delaware. I was just checking because North Carolina came up. In a garage. What are, whether you're talking Trump or you're talking Biden, what are the protocols that are in place for tracking these kinds of documents during transitions? The Trump campaign and Trump legal team have not put forward any sort of tracking mechanism, any documentation for how or why they were moved, classified documents were, they sort of say declassified, but haven't put forward evidence of declassified, that they were actually declassified, but they haven't provided any sort of tracking from getting, say, to Mar-a-Lago from the White House. Biden isn't providing that in his case. Now, in both of those instances, how come there's no tracking? How come there's no accountability? How come there's it's so easy to take these documents like that. And we've heard of instances with Hillary Clinton and Obama similarly. What the hell's going on here? How is it so easy? And why isn't there a better system in place for at the very least tracking what happens with these documents when a president or a vice president leaves office? Coming up in the next hour, we will talk in part about this with David Harsani of The Federalist. He'll join us to break down some of the political implications of this and more coming up in the next hour. We'll also be joined, by the way, by David Kopel of the Independence Institute to talk about this outrageous gun control bill, this assault, so-called assault weapons ban that is as broad as you could really get. As broad as you could possibly get. And it's it's terrible. We'll talk about it and the constitutionality or lack thereof with David Copel coming up later. Listener text coming in. Jimmy, stop comparing the two. Trump was president. Biden was vice president at the time. Here's the extent to which I agree with that distinction. There is, certainly seems to me to be more latitude between the president and vice president, a little bit in terms of some of these determinations. But at the same time, we are talking about, in, in, the, in the Trump case, there is no tracking and documentation saying these were declassified. They have not provided it. If it exists, the legal team has not provided it. So it's one thing to say, oh, the president has the right to declassify documents. You need to also provide that declassification. It's it's harder to make that distinction if you're not providing that sort of evidence. 
the Trump legal team, even during their negotiations with the FBI, with the authorities, with the archives, never actually asserted declassification. So that's where the comparison becomes a little bit more uh, like there's not as much of a distinction. Because if they were declassified, number one, why wasn't that claimed? And number two, why wasn't there tracking? Number three, why isn't there substantiation of it? Rather than just after the fact saying, oh, well, we, we I considered it declassified. My point is more that it is stunning that you have these documents that are just showing up like this, classified documents. But let's be real. Joe Biden, I mean, he's been blasting Trump. For example, take a listen to this last year. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought... What data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. What? By the way, a little bit of clarity here. And when I say what, I mean what? You apply that standard to Trump, but what about yourself and your irresponsibility? So now the headline here is that the classified documents were found at Biden's Wilmington home. So his home and his office at the University of Pennsylvania, where else? He's lost credibility vis-a-vis going after Donald Trump. There is cause. If you're going to apply Merrick Garland any kind of a special counsel to look into these matters of Donald Trump, you need to do the same thing for Joe Biden here, especially because Biden is actually the sitting president of the United States. If Biden is the president of the United States, that standard becomes even more significant because he's the current occupier of the office. And now you have these things randomly showing up. The media is even all upset about this. And grilling Corinne Jean-Pierre, White House press secretary, about it. I played this clip earlier, CBS's Ed O'Keefe pressing Jean-Pierre on why it was not until now that we finally found out about this when it goes back to November of last year, November 2nd that the documents of the University of Pennsylvania were uncovered. On like day two of this administration, when he swore all of you in, the president said, quote, I'm going to make mistakes. When I make them, I'll acknowledge them, and I'll tell you, and I'll need your help to help me correct them. So you're the one here yeah, talking to us about this. That's why we're asking you. So let's just remember that. I, uh, when and he we, was and, asked yesterday... And, and I'm, we don't need we don't need to have this. We work very well together. Do. I don't. We don't need to have this kind of confrontation. Ask your question, and I will answer well, them the best the reason, that I can. Part of the reason we're <laughs> laying out you're laying your part of the job. We're I know. Our part of the job I know, but I'm just saying question. that we don't we need to have contention. You don't need to be contentious with me here. Ed. The president was asked yesterday, but did not answer this part of the question. 
Why didn't he or someone in the White House inform the American people when these documents were discovered on November 2nd? Did it have anything to do, because people are asking this part of it, did it have anything to do with the fact that the election was just a few days away? Again, Ed, this is under review by the Department of Justice. It is literally under review right now. As we are, as as I as I am talking to you, it is under review. So I'm not going to uh, get beyond the process. I'm not going to get beyond what the president said. Oh my goodness! Well, can she at least can she at least explain why the lawyers were looking through his private office in the first place? Can I just ask if you have any information about why the president's personal attorneys. We're at the Penn Biden Center in the first place. Were they looking for something specific? Was there something specific they were doing going through these documents? It just seems like to send, if it was just routine moving stuff, to send a personal attorney to do I, that I would well. refer you to the White House Counsel's uh, very extensive um, uh, uh, kind of information on, on Monday that they provided. Uh, so I refer you to that. Are there more documents? There are no assurances you can provide at this point that there are no other classified documents out there in any other office or normal. Again, this is an ongoing process, so I'm going to let the process uh, continue. It is being reviewed by the Department of Justice, and I'm just going to leave it there. Well, we now know where the second batch of documents was found. Sounds like his garage at his home. I mean, goodness, Attorney General Merrick Garland will be making a statement today at 1.15 Eastern Time, 11.15 Mountain Time. One would like to think that he is going to appoint some kind of special counsel to look into this. But this is not a small deal, especially when Biden is trying to go. I mean, you have to be equal here. In what you do. Biden needs to be held responsible for his own failures. How the hell do these documents just come up at these places like this? The University of Pennsylvania one, that is stunning. This is absurd. And then this is the kind of explanation that Biden gives. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've My lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. They're yours. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon. And uh, there'll be more detail at that time. Washington University law professor called that unintelligible. And what the president said uh, yesterday was really rather unintelligible in the sense of he said, you know, the lawyers told me not to ask what the documents were. Well, I can understand a lawyer saying don't say anything because there's a potential criminal investigation. But there are two steps to this investigation. One is to secure the documents, which has occurred. And the second is to determine if there was any breach of security. For that, you need to know who saw the documents. Mm -hmm. And the chief witness is the president. You have Mm -hmm. to ask him, here are the documents in the box. Do you remember asking for these, working off these, showing these? Um, The president just said I was brief but told not to ask what the documents are. (laughs) I mean, come on. This is ridiculous, like genuinely ridiculous, genuinely absurd. And the excuses just keep coming. Somehow Biden was surprised at the documents at the University of Pennsylvania. He had a closet with he, classified his information. His lawyers did the right, again, again, 
again, he did. He was surprised that the records were there. He spoke to this personally. He was surprised that the that the records were there. I mean, my goodness. All right. President Biden is speaking now on classified documents. Let's listen in via CBS. It's down from nine point one percent this summer. Inflation is now at its lowest level since October of 2021. When we look at the at the just the last three months, we see that inflation fell to 1.8 percent on an annualized basis. It's down from more than 11 percent in the first three months of last year. So the data is clear. Uh, of course, you know, Biden is, is trying to tout a successful economic agenda as he leads into the remarks on classified documents that are pretty damning for him. We'll listen in for a couple of minutes on 710 KNUS. To get oil onto the market and bring down prices. Now gas is down more than $1.70 from its peak. And that adds up to a family with a typical family with two vehicles to a savings of $180 a month every single month. That stays in their pockets instead of being spent at the pump. Food inflation is slowing as well. Last month, we saw the smallest increase in food prices in almost two years. Yeah. And much of that you know increase what? was due to the... He's going to go on and on and on about bogus economic claims. We want to hear what he says about classified documents. So we'll run to a, ble- a break here. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. Keep it right here. News Talk 710 KNUS. Wrapping up the third hour of the program. Next hour, Dave Copel of the Independence Institute, David Harsani. It's the David Hour. David Harsani of The Federalist will join us as well, and we'll talk about the developments regarding Biden's classified documents found in the garage at his Delaware home. Biden is giving remarks now, and <laughs> it's like... I, I, Billy and I were talking about this. It's like if Disney was giving a press conference about a new ride and they spent the first 25 minutes talking about the history of Disney to build up to the new ride. I mean, come on. Here's interesting text. Is it possible that members of his own party orchestrated this because they don't want him to run again? The whole thing seems like a frame-up to me. I'm just not sure by whom. Okay, I don't know about frame-up here because he got the documents somehow. They didn't just get pulled and then show up. He was responsible for this. He's culpable for it. But the timing, could it be? Eh, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to preempt him from making an announcement. I don't know that he's going to run anyway. But there are questions that come in from this text that goes on. The whole thing is fishy. Who was searching? Why were they searching? Are documents routinely taken out of the White House or Congress? There are just too many questions. Yes, there are. those are all legitimate questions. And in fact, there is the question about why his attorneys were rifling through his office, etc., in the first place. I just ask if you have any information about why the president's personal attorneys were at the Penn Biden Center in the first place. Were they looking for something specific? Was there something specific they were doing going through these documents? It just seems like to send, if it was just 
routine moving stuff to send a personal attorney to do I, that I would well. refer you to the White House Counsel's uh, very extensive um, uh, uh, kind of information on, on Monday that they provided, uh, so I refer you to that. Hmm. Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God ah. willing, soon. But as I said earlier, he was just week, asked about classified documents. We'll listen way, to CBS News in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So but anyway, yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but uh, as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyers reviewed other places where documents in my, uh, of, from my time as vice president were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas and file cabinets in my home and my, in my, my, my personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn, th this was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center, the Department of Justice was immediately, as was done, the Department of Justice was immediately uh, uh, notified, and uh, the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. So you're going to see, we're going to see all this unfold. I'm confident. Thank you very much. One answer. She's doing really well. She, uh, um, she was under a long time uh, for five hours because what they were doing is they take out. He was walking away. That was one question that he took on classified documents and now talking about First Lady Dr. Jill Biden. Uh, no real answers there. No explanations. No, just obfuscation. And brushing it off as though it's nothing significant. Oh, well, we immediately notify the Department of Justice. So all is good. Look, that narrative could have worked yesterday when you had one batch. Could have kind of worked at least trying to drill that point home as far as distinctions between him and Trump and cooperation with the National Archives not being as uh, complete with Trump, shall we say. It could have made that point. But now that we got more batches and it's coming up with his Corvette, did you notice that? In a locked garage, as well as my Corvette. Real relatable, by the way, for the lunchbox president, right? As well as my Corvette. Wouldn't we all like to have a Corvette in the car, along with classified documents we supposedly take seriously? Whoa! <laughs> I mean, you just listen to all of that. No wonder he gave one answer, and that is it. Listener keeps insisting this is an Obama issue because of the idea that either President Obama unclassified these documents and allowed the VP to take them, or he stole the documents. It is quite clear that they are, and, and says this is an Obama issue. Here's the thing. It is quite clear that these were not declassified. Because the talk is about classified documents. They're still labeled classified. Same thing with the documents at Mar-a-Lago, apparently, still labeled classified. If they're declassified, 
You need to have some kind of record, either the label and or written documentation saying here is when these documents were declassified. It is quite clear that they were not. And even in the Trump case, there were no um, pieces of evidence that they put forward yet that he actually did declassify them. They haven't called for even claimed. The legal team hasn't actually claimed that. And in this case, no, there's no evidence. It would be number two. He stole the documents or however that would be. But when you say when you're the president of the United States and you say you take classified materials seriously and then suddenly you have classified documents from your tenure as vice president show up in not one but two places, a university and your garage at your home. To quote Biden, come on, man. This ain't beanbag. This is politics. This is government. This is the president of the United States at this moment whose administration has been going after his chief political rival, Donald Trump. Now, that's not to cast judgment one way or the other on what's been going on with Trump and the viability of that case so much as it is to say the double standard is real and he can't dodge it. And the politics of this, the optics of this, the reality of this ain't looking good for Uncle Joe Biden, President of the United States. Coming up in the next hour, we will talk more about this with David Harsani and get his take from The Federalist. We will also be joined at the top of this hour by another David, David Kopel of the Independence Institute, to get a better understanding of what has been proposed by radical Democrats in the most extreme gun control bill that at least I'm aware of ever being introduced in the Colorado General Assembly. Keep it right here. Jimmy and for George, 710 KNUS. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.